Take your Bibles tonight and go to Psalm 79. Psalm 79. This psalm is often thought of as a companion to Psalm 74, uh, just in the way it's worded and and its relation as a a lament psalm. And Psalm 79 is really the beginning of of several uh, psalms in a row where Israel is wayward, and they need to come back to the Lord. And so Asaph, under inspiration of the, of the Lord here, is, is sharing with us uh, really a, a broad uh, scope of, of the fall of Jerusalem, the, lament, the lamenting that took place after the fall of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And it's also a lament over the sins of the people that caused God's judgment to come upon them in that form. And so as you find your place there in Psalm 79, we'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, A psalm of Asaph, O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled, and they have laid laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven. The flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision uh, derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? And we'll read the rest of the psalm in just a moment and come back to some of these verses. But we see really in the first part of the psalm that burning question question from Asaph, how long? How long, Lord, is this going to continue to happen? How long are our enemies going to be running over us, so to speak? But he, he, he he knew that it was because of the consequences of sin. And so here tonight, while the consequences of our sin will vary, it won't be quite the same as as what what they uh, faced here in Psalm 79, God's plan for repentance and restoration of fellowship is always the same. And we actually see from a a bird's eye view what that plan is here in Psalm 79. Father, I ask that as we look at your word tonight, that you would... uh, Lord, bring us uh, closer to you. Lord, show us your love and your holiness. And Lord, would you allow this this chapter tonight to be our teacher uh, from your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Psalm 79, as I said just a moment ago, is is a beginning of several psalms in which Israel is imploring God to rescue them. But Psalm 79 specifically... Is, is going to, in a general way, show us what that pattern, what that process of repentance and restoration of fellowship with God looks like. Look at verse 1 again. O God, the heathen are come into thine inheritance. Immediately, Asaph is struck with the fact that, this, that God owns everything. This is your inheritance that you've given to us. And even if you go into verse 2, that these are thy servants, thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. 
this is this is all God's. This is not. I don't own any of this. And here tonight, we're going to split this into three sections. The first section will be Israel's punishment that they rightfully deserve because of their sin of falling away from God. We're going to look at Israel's plea, and then finally Israel's praise at the very end of the chapter. But first tonight, we're going to all three of these will be teachers to us. Israel's punishment teaches us of the holiness of God and that God is not a respecter of persons. Uh, God was right and holy in his punishment of Israel. Look at verse 2. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given over to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. That is not a pretty sight. Okay, That reminds you of maybe some wars or holocausts or different things in our uh, history, uh, modern history of the world, of just nasty things that happen to people. And God is allowing this to happen to Israel so that they would look to him. And, and some people might try to refute the loving nature of God and say, well, you look through, throughout Scripture and God has the people of Israel wiping out these other nations and, and you know, God's not love at all. He's, he's not equal towards all men. But then you look at Psalm 79 and you find out that God is not a respecter of persons, that he does judge sin. And when he is having, and when Israel is fighting against those other nations, that's God judging sin. That was God allowing those people that hated God to come into a realization that there was a God in Israel, that there was, a one, there was one true God. And I believe Psalm 79 is a great testament to the holiness of God and that God hates sin. God will not stand, will allow sin to stand before him. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is wholly just. While the, while the nature of the punishment seems harsh in those two verses, God knows exactly what to allow in a nation's life to get their attention. I say the words or the numbers 9-11, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. 9-11 happened in the year 2001, and for a brief moment, this nation was humbled. For a brief moment... This nation was on its knees, understanding the brevity of life. God knows what to do in order to shake a nation and bring it back before the Lord. And, uh, and God, God here is right and holy in his punishment, in, in allowing punishment to come. God is also right and holy when he then exposes our sin for what it is. And you look at verse 4 and you find that happening. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. That word derision means mockery. Absolute, absolute uh, made, made a fool of. And Asaph, uh, Asaph tells them even uh, down in verse 10, down in verse 10, wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? They were asking, is there really a God in Israel? Where is he? Well, show, show him to me. And, and Israel, for a moment, 
they, they, they were made a mockery at. They were, they were made a scorn at. And I want you to think about this for a moment. God was allowing the enemies of God's people to prevail in the short term. They weren't going to win in the long term. But he was allowing them to win in the short term to bring, to bring Israel back to repentance. And because of that, the enemies of God laughed and made fun of them. Our sin, what does it cause? It causes God, the heathen, those who do not know God, those who hate God, our sin causes other people, those unbelievers, to blaspheme the name of God. And we need to see it. Not, we may think in our realms of just, just our own selfish desires that well, my sin only hurts me. No. When you choose in any portion of your life to disobey God or to stiff-arm God, what you are telling the world is you can have a free mockery at God. You can be free to scorn God because I don't trust God in my life. Your sin causes others to blaspheme the name of God. Not only that, but uh, this, is, this next point is, is actually a, a beautiful point about our salvation. Notice how that God allowed all of this to happen. He allowed Israel to go through punishment. He allowed his name to be blasphemed. And God will always win out in the end. But many times he sacrifices his own reputation, his own name, in the short term and allows it to be blasphemed so in, for that moment so that we could be drawn back to him. Philippians chapter 2 talks a little bit about that, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He made himself of no reputation so that he could draw us to himself. And we see that same pattern right here in Psalm 79. God made himself of no reputation. He chose, he, by his holiness, he, chose, he chooses not to be a respecter of persons. He can't because he is holy, because he, he hates sin. And so when he judges, yes, these, these unbelievers blaspheme his name, but he's, he's jealous for his people. He is jealous for you tonight that you would be in a perfect fellowship with him. So we see first Israel's punishment. It teaches us the holiness of God and that God is not a respecter of persons. Secondly, we see Israel's plea. It teaches us the right heart attitude that we should have before God when we have sinned. Humility. Humility. Look at verse 5. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee, and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. And uh, if you know anything about the Old Testament prophets, you can mark this down and look back at it later. But Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 25 is remarkably similar to reading these two verses, verses 6 and 7. Let me, let me do this. I'm going to read Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 25, and you look at verse 6 and 7 and see 
if maybe the Lord wasn't speaking to Asaph through this Old Testament prophet. Verses 6 and, uh, sorry, Jeremiah 10, 25. Pour out thy fury upon the heathen that know thee not, and upon the families that call not on thy name. For they have eaten up Jacob and devoured him and consumed him and have made his habitation desolate. Very similar uh, to, the, to, to Psalm 79 here. So I don't know what, what uh, correlation is there necessarily, but Asaph is realizing this is what, this is what, uh, this is what Israel is going through right now. Through this, they're about to be thrown into captivity. And uh, how long, Lord, will this, will this go on? Verse 8, O remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us, for we are brought very low. You know, sometimes that's the best place to be brought, very low, because that's then where, where God can meet you, is in a place of humility. Help us, O God, of our salvation, for the glory of thy name, and deliver us, and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen in our sight by the revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed. Let, thy, let the sign of the prisoner come before thee. According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. And render unto our neighbors sevenfold into their bosom their reproach wherewith they have reproached thee, O Lord. I want you to notice that's, that's a bigger portion there that's really dealing with their plea and really Asaph's prayer before the Lord, I believe, was joined in with Israel as they're crying out to God. They've now repented and they're seeking God. Now, Lord, stop. We can choose our sin, but we cannot choose our consequences or how long they're going to last. And sometimes God allows things to go on for a long time to not only stick a, for us to stick a stake in the ground and say, well, I'm not going there again, or, or allowing us to see what kind of damage sin does to prevent us from further sin. But notice Asaph is not asking, Lord, why are you doing this? He knows why. He knows that because of, it's because of sin. Asaph is asking it with Israel, when? When is this going to come to, a, to an end? We are ready to turn back. We're ready to humble ourselves. And this plea, is, is, it teaches us that the pleading of how long, Lord, in our own life must be more, it must go deeper than asking God to clear away our present circumstances. If you're going to ask, how long, Lord, is this going to last? It must go deeper than saying, God, take away my consequences, the consequences of my sin. It has to go deeper than that. It has to go as deep as 1 John chapter 1 presents. It has to go as deep as getting back into the light. That's where we need to end up. 1 John chapter 1 and verses 5 through 7 present to us what needs to happen in any believer's life uh, when, when, when we step out of the light. Verse 5 says, Then this is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Some of you could quote that right now or even sing that, that song that goes along with that verse. But that is the pattern that God sets forth, and it's, it's very obvious even in this chapter that Asaph and Israel, they're coming back to this. We want to repent. We want to, we want to get back to where we need to be. And from this middle section here, I, I want to draw three points of application to our own lives. It is only through walking in the light that we can experience the fellowship and forgiveness of our Savior. We can, we can, we can, we can try, to, try to change different things. We can, we can try to uh, get God's attention different ways. We can, we can pray until we're blue in the face. But if we are not humbling ourselves before God and putting away darkness, the, the darkness, the sin that's in our life, if we're not getting rid of that, we are not going to have fellowship with the Savior. And so when God convicts us about things, we need to answer with an with a answer of humility and come before God and ask him for that forgiveness and that fellowship to be restored. Verses 9 through 10, Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name. And uh, it goes on through verse 10. I'll get there in just a moment. But the second place of application in verses 9 and 10 I see three reasons we should actually want deliverance in our life that Asaph gives to us. The first reason is that for restored fellowship with God. Help us, O God, of our salvation. There is a a place he was turning. He wanted fellowship with God. Israel wanted fellowship with God. The second reason we should want deliverance and purging from our sin is for the glory of his name. Look at his, he mentions it twice in verse 9. Help us, O God, of our salvation for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. We should want there to be a clear reflection and a, a clear, uh, uh, absolute, we, we want to give a pure image of God's name. God, would you clear away my sin or would you purge me? Would you get anything out of my life? That word purge literally plucking away something that is killing us. Just like you would in a plant, cutting away the dead parts. Lord, would you purge out of my life those things that are killing me for the glory of your name, for your name's sake, for thy name's sake. And then the third reason we should be want deliverance, so that the one true God will be known among the heathen. Look at verse 10. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is their God? Let him be known among the heathen. And he goes on to say, for the revenging of, uh, revenging of the blood of thy servants which is shed, uh, God wants to be known among, among the heathen, among those that, that, are, that, that are not saved. But when we are stuck in our transgressions, our, uh, what does is, what is, uh, David say there in Psalm 51? He, he, he says, cleanse me, O God, and then he goes on to say that I may teach transgressors thy ways. You cannot teach transgressors thy way without first having a clean heart, asking God to create in you a clean heart. So that's, those are three reasons we should want deliverance and purging from God. But then in verse 11, he goes one step further 
and really from his heart to God as, as God is, is speaking to him and, and the inspiration he's writing this he gives us a picture of what he and Israel, all of Israel are feeling like where they are and it's a beautiful picture of, of one who, who God is the one who pardons sin verse 11 let the sign of the prisoner come before thee According to the greatness of thy power, preserve thou those that are appointed to die. And so here Asaph is crying out, Lord, we deserve this. We are on death row and we rightfully deserve this. But you alone are the one that can pardon us. That's true humility. That's where we need to be. And this is what this plea teaches us. It teaches us from a bird's eye view, that pattern for restored fellowship and restored forgiveness it teaches that pattern of humility lord we're here we're rightfully here and you are the only one that can pardon me lord would you would you do that that's not only the pattern for salvation but it's the pattern for any christian who is who has fallen into sin and needs restored fellowship with god you'll never lose your salvation but sometimes we we fall out of fellowship because we we choose to walk in darkness and so to step back into that light, to continue to walk in the light, is where we need to be. And that, that is a perfect picture of humility in our own life, where, where we need to be. The last thing then, and this is the, probably the shortest, because it's the shortest passage of Scripture there in, in, in this psalm, is the last couple of verses where it talks about praise. And really it's the last verse, but we'll get there. Verse 12 and render unto our neighbors sevenfold unto their bosom, their, uh, into their bosom their reproach, wherewith they have reproached thee, O Lord. He's asking God, would you make good on the fact that those who curse us, you will you will curse, Lord? Would you do that? Would you take would you you know take away our reproach? And then verse thirteen, so we thy people and sheep of thy pasture. We'll give thee thanks forever. We will shew forth thy praise to all generations. I believe this third part, portion of the psalm, very short, Israel's praise teaches us how to trust God even in the midst of consequences. And uh, did God render due justice to their enemies? Yes, he did. In time, but the Babylonians didn't Get and get, didn't get wiped off the face of the map right away. It took the, Merds and the uh, Medes and the Persians to do that. It wasn't right away, though. And, and what does that tell us, even just from that historical knowledge as well as this verse, verse 13, what does it teach us about how praise needs to be rendered in our life toward God? And we, can, we can apply this in the, in the fact that praise and thanks are to be forever despite circumstances look at at the middle of the verse there he says and the sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever when does forever start (laughs) right now right now so what does that tell you then about the praise in your life you have maybe maybe there's a situation where there's consequences that have come because of past sin or there's things that are not bright right now should you be praising the Lord and the answer is yes 
because we're to give thanks, we're to praise him forever to all generations. And in the midst of those, we should not be asking God, Lord, take away, I'll praise you, I'll give you thanks when you take away my consequences. We can't, we can't treat God that way. This, I believe, teaches us really that third portion of this process of restoration is that the moment we step back into the light, the moment we come back to restored fellowship and we claim God's forgiveness and we understand that he did it and we believe it is the moment we can then start praising God again. And we need to, no matter what God chooses to do in his righteous judgment, it should be your choice to give him praise and then let God take care of the rest. So may we choose to follow this simple example shown to us here in Psalm 79 of what repentance and restoration looks like in a, in a believer's life and that we can truly praise him from a, from a heart full of joy because of that fellowship with him. Let's pray.